0: Thank you for joining us on Inside EMS, now the always entertaining Chris Zabalero and the Ted Nugent of EMS, Kelly Grayson. Well hello everyone, this is Chris Zabalero, I want to thank you for joining us, it's time once again to go Inside EMS and we do this show every week and uh, you know today's not going to be any different, we're going to talk a little bit about the news, we're going to talk about the importance of having a great FTO program but I can't do this show alone and the guy that's here to help me is our good friend, Kelly Grayson. Kelly, how are you?
1: I am capital, my brother. How are you?
0: You know, things are going good. You know, good. Uh, life is, uh, is happening. My daughter surprised me. She came, drove up here from Alabama, 18 years old, was her first road trip. And, of course, uh, it was good to see her. But, uh, you know, subsequently she needed a prom dress. So I think that that's really what the trip was ah. about. Ah. Yeah, yeah. So. so
1: where does one shop for a prom dress in, in Kentucky?
0: Well actually, I was in St. Louis. I'm in Kentucky now. You brought up Kentucky. I'm getting ready to speak at the Kentucky State Conference. I'll do the keynote tomorrow and uh, talk about the events that happened in Ferguson. And then I'll do a couple classes on Friday. And I'm really excited to uh, share the, uh, some knowledge with the folks here. And uh, you know, everywhere we go, the, they seem to enjoy the show. And uh, I'm sure here won't be any different. So your your
1: daughter was doing the uh, "I love you, Dad." Can I borrow the car keys? That's kind right. Of I, I, it was
0: more or less "I love you, Dad." Can I borrow the credit card?
1: Yeah, there you go.
0: So it's amazing.
1: It's amazing how how much more they love you when they when they need something.
0: You know what was really funny too, Kelly, is that uh, you know my daughter's eighteen, and, and every time I visit with her, she looks so much like her mom. I don't know whether I should kiss her or start a fight with her. So it's really kind of, you know, it, it just makes it makes me crazy. I don't know how to handle it sometimes. So, but anyway, let's go ahead and talk about some news. Why don't you go ahead and give us our first story?
1: Well, I want to give a shout out to uh, to uh, some high school students uh, in Myers Town, Pennsylvania. They were uh, students of Elko's Emergency Medical Technician program. Got a lesson they won't soon forget when they were involved in a real life medical emergency at the high school elderly gentleman at the high school. uh, Visiting the school for a musical program, went into cardiac arrest, and um, the EMT instructor and several of her students responded and got a pulse back, got ROSC. So there was about a dozen students involved. Man, uh, I'd like to give a public shout out to these guys. Welcome to your new career in EMS, guys, and and strong work.
0: Yeah, that's the thing, really, thing about, uh, you know, the the work that we do is we really do make differences. You know, there's there's a lot of BS. You and I know that. There's a lot of BS that goes on in EMS and people that need to go to the hospital or people that go to the hospital that don't need to go to the hospital. Yeah. But when people really need the skills and when re- people really need the service, um, you know, we're the best part of their worst day. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, that's something to really we, be proud of.
1: Yeah, and we, we, don't, we don't often, we lose sight of that. We lose sight of that a lot in the in the daily grind and the drudgery uh, that is a career at EMS. Is that, you know, what what people people uh, you know memories fade into diagnoses and half remembered faces. But but uh, we're the central part of, of a defining uh, instance in someone's lives, and and it's a big big responsibility and a big honor. We we lose sight of that sometimes.
0: Yeah, and you you know you bring that up and I know you and I have talked about it but the public trust is you know when you think about cops you know you see them driving around and you feel comfortable they're there. When you, when you mm-hmm. see you know the fire trucks, you see them around. You feel comfortable that you're there. You know you don't think about that you're going to need an ambulance. No. But when you do, I mean the public <laughs> trust is, yeah. is very very high. And I think that that's what kind of gets my goat every now and again when you know some of these agencies are doing the bonehead things that give us the mm-hmm. black eye. But you know I think that's what's really great about being in our career field is that when people really need us, they really need us. Yeah.
1: Funny story is that's how I, it's not how I got started in EMS, but uh, I had my first cardiac arrest ROSC when I was a sophomore in high school. Um, I was at a school convention and a gentleman collapsed in the, or was choking in the uh, hotel restaurant and uh, did the Heimlich maneuver on him. And he coughed it up and then uh, and then collapsed in cardiac arrest and, and did CPR on him and by the time the, the rescue squad arrived, uh, we got pulse back. He threw up in my mouth while I was doing while I was doing ventilations on him. That wasn't fun, but we got him back. So uh, I was kind of hooked after that. I knew I wanted a career in medicine, just wasn't sure how to go about it.
0: And all it took was for somebody puking in your mouth. That's that? it. There yeah. you go, man. <laughs> you know, Kelly, my story goes to Portland, Oregon think about the work that we do you know we hang out on the street corners we wait for the next that doesn't sound very good does it we hang out on the street corners well we hang out on the street corners we wait for our next call to come you know we see a lot of things well the story that I'm gonna talk about comes out of Portland Oregon Paramedics stop attempted child abduction. I got to tell you, I got to applaud the folks that are up there in Portland, Oregon. Two AMR paramedics stop the attempted kidnapping of a two-year-old child. And I got to tell you, I mean, that just again, you know, a, bit, a minute ago we were talking about public trust. I mean, how much does this add to this now? Not only are we there to take care of them on what could be their worst day of their life, we're delivering high quality of patient care. You know, we're supporting people that need to be supported. And and now when we see things that are, are going on that shouldn't be happening, i.e. The the two-year-old of attempted kidnapping. We're stepping in and we're trying to make a difference here.
1: Exactly, and and in this case, these two paramedics uh, stepped up and, and made that difference. Uh, big big kudos and and public uh, accolades to Brian Henricks and and Trevin Sunbaum who who stopped this. Uh, apparently, noticed the the interaction between the mother and and the uh, potential kidnapper and and uh, radioed for police and. Um, and uh, stepped in. The guy was uh, apparently very uh, agitated and upset, and uh, was yelling that the uh, the child was his sister's child, and he was trying to take the uh, take the child away. And they they intervened and, and summoned authorities and thwarted a kidnapping. Good good on them.
0: You know, it just amazes me how people are so brazen. You know, did yeah. you see the one? I mean, it was one a couple of weeks ago on the national news where a dad decided to take his newborn out of the hospital uh, put the baby in a bag and carried the baby out of the hospital of course the doors were locked because the security systems in place that Mm -hmm. won't allow the doors to open um you know however they do that so a nurse came by and said oh you can't get out let me go and let you out and lets her out and the the guy walks out with the baby you know and and it's just crazy that uh
1: brazenness brazenness pays off it really really does
0: man it really does Back when I
1: was in high school, we we talked about, I was in a uh, program for distributive education. We were taking a loss prevention seminar one time, and and they had video of of guys stealing a canoe from the sporting goods section of the local apartment store. And employees were opening the doors for them and helping them out. Same thing with, like, riding lawnmowers. They were were pushing riding lawnmowers out, and and people were very helpfully helping them load up their stolen lawnmower.
0: That's right. (laughs) I like that, man. That's awesome, man. And I wasn't stealing the canoe, I was just borrowing it So I don't don't appreciate you bringing it up But what's your next story?
1: We got uh, Elkins Park, Pennsylvania. Tense situation there. A former firefighter took several of his coworkers uh, hostage in a firehouse Tuesday morning. Incident began about 11 o'clock in the morning at the Lamont Fire Company, number no. one in Elkins Park, uh, Pennsylvania. And an unidentified, uh, in the news report, unidentified former firefighter took three to five individuals hostage inside the building. SWAT team was on the scene. There were no injuries, uh, but they, they took him into custody about an hour later. But um, man, it just we we've said this a million times you know keep your head on a swivel always be alert but how alert can you be if it's if it's a you know a former co-worker acquaintance uh, a colleague you know are you always on red alert for those those kind of things we're glad the situation was resolved without any violence uh, and we don't know what motivated the firefighter to uh, to take people hostage maybe it was a, a workplace uh, incident you Disgruntled or or whatever, we'll we'll need to follow this and see what see what comes of it.
0: Yeah, you know, you bring up a really good point when we talk about things that are going on around us. I mean, you know, look at the you know the the people who are our neighbors and you know that they're causing the Boston Marathon bombing and you know all these you know people that are getting shot now. And but now you got your coworkers who are you know somebody who that we've got to now be suspicious of. It's it's a really tough time out there now, man.
1: Yeah, you don't you don't you know we always say you know i've got your back <laughs> but um you never expect violence and and that sort of thing from the people who you you think have your back uh you don't look from it uh from that direction and um it, you know apparently in this case it, whatever issues this guy had boiled over and he, he took some former co-workers hostage uh just you know be alert guys and and I guess the lesson here that we can draw is is, is that even emergency medical services not uh, is not immune to uh, workplace violence and and uh, disgruntled employees going
0: off the deep end. Yeah, like you mentioned, it would be interesting to hear a little bit more as this story kind of plays out. I mean, is this another, you know, is this, and certainly speculation here, is this another stress situation that's caused, you know, an employee rather than hurting himself? Very well. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, very well I mean, could be. Yeah, so it would be interesting, as you mentioned, to see how it plays out. But let's go ahead and do one more news story before we transition to the clinical well, issue. Sure. And I want to talk about Baltimore. They pass a plan <laughs> to cut overtime for paramedics. You know, it's a challenge to try to get paramedics on the street. The restructuring will create a new two-tiered response system for better staff peak demand times. You and I were talking about uh, tiered systems a couple shows back. It seems that uh, in Baltimore, they've decided to uh, kind of restructure how they're doing their shifts to kind of help with that, uh, you know, that loss or kind of help with that. Uh, you know, bringing new paramedics into the system, but paramedic units have they've been chronically understaffed for years, which has led to an increase in overtime payouts. Uh, last year, two dozen paramedics made a combined one point nine million in overtime. Last Gosh. last year, two dozen paramedics made a combined one point nine million in overtime. I, I have to say it twice, Kelly, because I can't believe
1: yeah. it. and and you look at salary figures with that old overtime calculated in you think oh my god what i wouldn't give for for a year like that i I don't think anyone uh um, experiencing the reality of of what it takes to earn that kind of money would would willingly do it um you know when, when you're in a system that understaffed in a particularly a busy urban system it's brutal it's really really brutal but kudos to uh to baltimore taking the steps to hire more medics and to to uh, cut down their overtime, it'll it'll make their their agency uh, more fiscally sound and 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 improve uh, response times and improve staffing and and hell even even DC right now is, is putting up ten additional unit for peak load staffing so they're not the only ones to, to address the situation hopefully it works out best for the citizens of uh, Baltimore and DC and and for the uh, the paramedics on those rigs.
0: We're going to I think we're going yeah. to start to see this more and more. I mean when we talk about overtime. You know, uh, that's that's uh, kind of our bread and butter. You know, the, the folks don't get paid tons of money, and that's how they kind of make up some of those differences is when they pick up that overtime. You know, this this restructuring is going to allow for the department to bring in fifty new paramedics. Yeah. it'll bring their number up to about two eighty. You know, one of the things that I found very interesting was is that more than sixty five percent of the one hundred thirty four thousand calls in twenty thirteen happened during peak time, and and it's really important that we keep an eye on that demand analysis. So we know how to play chess and know how to move the units and get the resources in that we need. But, uh, you know, like you mentioned, kudos to Baltimore. Hopefully it works out for them. And this is another story I think we need to follow because I think what's going to happen here is this is going to be the litmus test for a lot of systems around the United States.
1: Yeah, I think so as well. You know, I'm I'm on record as not being a huge fan of, of system status management. Um, but I do uh, mainly because I work in a system status management system and they, they move us all over the place for... Uh, for what I deem are are really poor reasons but um uh, this is this is a good example of, of, you know, the need for some type of fluid deployment system. And if that is SSM or if it combines, you know, street corner posting with peak load staffing and all that, the entire, the entire spectrum of, of uh, fluid deployment, um, and it works better for them, then, then that's great. Uh, they, uh, every agency needs a, a well-thought-out deployment plan and, and needs to critically look at their, their staffing and deployment issues and see if they can do better.
0: Yeah, I've heard you say that before, Kelly, and I, I think that's really interesting. I'm, I'm a fan of system status management, so maybe on, uh, on the next uh, clinical issue, we could talk about, debate the pros and cons of system status management. When system status management works correctly and you're all over the call, uh, you know, those priority calls, uh, I think that really makes a difference. And But right. talking about our clinical issue, why don't you go ahead yeah. and set up our clinical issue for this week, and let's go ahead and transition into it.
1: Yeah, clinical issue this week is, is FTO training. How extensive, uh, how detailed is the FTO program at your agency? Do you have a, a structured, well thought out FTO system that's objective and, and addresses your new hires' uh, uh, educational needs, or do you simply have the guy who's hung around longest uh, slap an FTO patch on him and tell him to go and break the new guys in?
0: And, and first off, I want to say thanks. I mean, this this topic really comes from one of our listeners, Matt Poole, down there in Fort Worth, Texas, and he was actually going to join us a couple shows back. And uh, kind of ask us the questions. And hopefully, we could still get him on, Kelly, and he could kind of ask us some uh, pointed pointed questions about FTO and the FTO process. And, uh, you know, I want to send the kudos out to our fans because you guys drive a lot of our content and a lot of our discussion. So thank you very much for doing that. But I'm the kind of person that believes that the FTO is the most important person in the organization. I agree wholeheartedly. He is the gatekeeper of the organization. and, And we can set up our policies, we can set up our practices, we can set up our processes. But it's the FTO that's going to allow the person who's coming in off the street, you know, because you know as well as I do, when you go through the interview process, we're saying whatever it is we need to say mm-hmm. to make sure that we get an opportunity to work. I and look it's, forward to the
1: opportunity to grow and learn at your company.
0: You know, but, <laughs> but then when the folks really start to work and you start to learn their work ethic and you start to realize that, uh, you know, they couldn't intubate themselves out of a wet paper bag, the FTO process is really the one ones that have to say, this person will not make it in our system and we probably need to cut our losses now. Or yeah. they're the ones that ensure that remediation is done and we get a good employee out of the deal. Hey, let me ask you this question since we're talking about it. Do you think that the FTO's role is to teach somebody to have good skills or just to ensure that they're going to be able to learn the processes and fit into the system? Because I've kind of heard both ways and I'm interested to know what you think.
1: Teach wholeheartedly, absolutely. The FTO has to be an effective teacher. First of all, you know it's it's a it's almost a cliche in EMS that there's the classroom way and there's the street way, and I don't always hold with that with that opinion, but uh, there is something to it that there is a transition between classroom and, and psychomotor skills practiced in the skills lab and actually doing that on the street. You said before that the FTO is is the gatekeeper to the to the system and and that's true. They need to fill the gap between classroom and street and as such they need to be effective instructors. That, that's exactly what an FTO is supposed to do is not only bridge the gap between classroom and street, but to pass on the, the knowledge and the traditions and the and the agency culture to make sure people are a good fit. You can't do that if you're not an effective teacher.
0: Yeah, and, and I have to agree with you, because and, and, I've heard both sides. You know, being an FTO, is it, my job to teach skills or is it my job to kind of teach the way of the organization? And, and I answer that question by saying yes. You know, I think when you have you know 20 years of experience, 25 years of experience, and you have somebody who comes into your organization who's newer, who has less experience. For you not to share that experience and to say, "Hey, did you ever think about intubating this way, or did you ever think about, you know, starting an IV this way, or you know, I noticed when you give your radio report, you're talking about the shoe size and and the color of their underwear. You know, that's probably something you shouldn't have to do. Here's a concise method and ways that you mm-hmm. can do that. And, and you know, sometimes you get a little bit of a uh, pushback on some of those old. Uh, older FTOs who say my job is only to do this and I think we need to be able to kind of change that thought process to say you know what we're probably you know we're getting picked for this for our leadership skills we're getting picked for this for our experiences we're getting picked for this for our our abilities and why not share that knowledge but here's the thing that I want to jump on you with A lot of times when we try to impart this knowledge on people, they kind of take umbrage to it. What's the best way that we can say, you know what, Uh, you may have a better opportunity doing this skill this way without kind of, uh, you know, making people feel like uh, you're you're talking down to them or you're you're criticizing their medicine?
1: Well, that, that goes right back to the effective teacher aspect of it teachers, instructors, have to deal with that sort of thing all the time. You're dealing with, with people who come into your class with different skill sets, different motivation, uh, different experience levels, and different learning styles. And you, if you're going to be an effective teacher, you have to adapt what you do to their particular needs with an eye toward their strengths and weaknesses. Preceptors are, are no different. Preceptors and FTOs are no different. What we, what we often lose sight of, or I find that preceptors and, and FTOs lose sight of, is they, they think there's some artificial dividing line between student and practitioner. Like, uh, you know, what is the difference between someone who hasn't taken the national registry exam and someone who has taken the national registry exam yesterday and passed it? There's no difference. Right. <laughs> There's no difference. They're the same marginally competent dumbass they were yesterday right. as they are today. They just have a card now, and, right. and we don't look at it that way. Uh, off too often, FTOs move in uh, shift from from teaching mode into evaluation mode when the student has their uh, or when the uh, the preceptee or the, the person they're training has their card, and and uh, I don't think we need to do that. Um, right. We just uh, we need to, first and foremost, uh, know our the person that we're training, know their 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 needs and their motivations, and and know a little bit about them personally so that we can adapt our teaching methods to their their own personal learning styles. Let me wrap that up by saying that that um, I think the role of the FTO is kind of like the NCOs in in the military. They are the they are the keepers of the profession and tradition. And, and the culture uh, of the agency. Uh, just like the, you know the the officers supposedly lead, but but the, the, uh, the NCOs are the the keepers of the culture and and they're the mentors and the professional stewards of that culture. and, and FTOs need to to look at it the same way
0: look at look at you kelly grace you're you're talking about that. that that is an awesome way to put that and i gotta give you a pat on the back the ncos of the ems workforce and i kind of enj- uh you know enjoyed that analogy that the, you know they're the you know the keepers of the tradition because you're absolutely right because they're the ones that you know they talk about well when we come to this post this is where we park and you know come over to this place and you know the you know the you get your free coffee from the the folks at this uh you know yeah. this uh, convenience store but you you know it, it's also the even the jokes that you start to play on the folks when they're new you know the, those traditions of getting people to uh, you know get get taped to the backboard or whatever it is that we were doing to those new folks and one of the things that I tried to do to folks and, and if you're listening out there you know it's all love one of the things I did as an FTO is I always tried to get the newbie to nasally nasal trumpet themselves. I said have they not done that to you yet and he's like no I said well if you do it once, and uh, you know when you finally do it, when you get back into the shop, uh, you're not going to gag as much. So you might as well try it now. And uh, it was always uh, between me and my partner to see who can get them to nasal trumpet themselves. And uh, you know, but it was kind of that initiation to the new and folks coming in the system.
1: Yeah, that's what the NCO, you know, any uh, a unit NCO does, and, and that's what a, uh, and that's what an FTO does. They have to they have to know where the line between hazing and camaraderie and team building is and, and you know, keep the new recruit from from being picked on and hazed while at the same time getting him to meld into the agency culture.
0: You know, one of the things that I I've always had challenges with though, and, and maybe you have a, a you know, kind of an answer to it, is you never really see a lot of the FTO, after your FTO process and now you're in the workforce Uh of going back to that FTO as a mentor after the fact. Hey, remember when you taught me this? What was the thought process or what was the rationale? Or, you know, I was having trouble listening to these heart tones and could you give me some guidance? And you don't really see a lot of that after the fact. What do you think is the cause of that?
1: Well, uh, I think the cause of it is is if the FTOs during the clearance and and FTO process would, would be more mentors than evaluators... Uh, you'd see the new guys uh, coming back to them even after the process is finished uh, for guidance and for feedback and for pep talks and that sort of thing. You know, we don't do enough mentoring and, and we don't cultivate relationships that are going to last beyond the FTO process. I think that's something we need to do. And that goes back to the to the mentoring and, and professional stewardship of the profession. Not only are you passing on the agency culture, you're trying to pass on the a, a culture of professionalism and what it means to be an EMT. Right. And and, and that is far broader than just what it's like to be an EMT at a Canadian ambulance. Right. Uh, it's 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 a part of a part of a culture, part of a creed, and and you have to convey that message to these guys so that they're, you know, you're trying to create lifelong learners. I don't think you always can, but you certainly should try, even as an FTM.
0: You know, I think one of the things that uh, has really been detrimental to FTO responsibilities is back in the day, we used to be able to do tons and tons of chart audits. Uh And we were able to see the things that were happening and and things were getting missed and protocol deviations and, and why didn't you do this? Well, one of the things that we got out of that the most was as FTOs, we knew what we had to train the new folks on, but we were also able to talk to those folks and maybe assist with remediation and maybe assist with, you know, you kind of missed this or you had a protocol deviation or whatever it was. And now in the days of electronic charting, it's kind of taken the FTO out of that CQI process. And and I think that's really detrimental to the the training of the future folks and, and really to the incumbent folks that are in the organization.
1: That's one of the weaknesses of, of EPCR QI. Is, is the only the the only thing you can do is flag certain things so that they pop up when you run a report. But if you don't read the entire thing and look at it more, uh, look at it with more an eye toward uh, the the uh, provider himself and his motivation and, and what was going through his head then it it winds up not being mentoring it winds up being just a protocol compliance a slap on the wrist or or you know one of the you become the protocol nazi not a a a mentor there are ways around that but first you know it, it requires a lot more effort and a lot more training of the FTO instead of just saying okay here's a list of criteria these guys have to meet if you don't see that criteria in the run ticket uh, send them a nasty gram over the internet. Right. One of the the more structured FTO programs out there these days is uh, FTEP, Field Training and Evaluation Program, and it was, you know, that's that's a big uh, endorsed by the EMS managers group, and, and that I I first became familiar with FTEP from uh, 15 years ago from some stuff sent to me uh, by a member of Metro West Ambulance when I was trying to. Update our FTO program at, at my former employer. Right. But it's a great, great system, uh, and, and the, the things that make it greater is it's structured. It is objective. Uh, there's no. There's very little room for for a, a FTO's opinion. Right. Um, it's all objective, uh, objective, verifiable facts. And they pick their FTOs based on a skill set and not seniority. It's not a title. It's an assignment exactly um, and, and you pick the right people rather than the guy who has just hung around at your agency the longest and I think that's probably the key in an effective FTO program is choose your FTOs uh, for a skill set and an attitude not necessarily for good protocol compliance and seniority
0: right. And, uh, you know, the FTEP program, as you mentioned, is uh, sponsored by NEMSMA, National EMS Management Association. You know, Skip Kirkwood and Troy Hagen have done a great job of of promoting that course and bringing it forward. If you want to learn more about the FTEP program, go ahead and get on the the NEMSMA website and uh, certainly reach out to those folks and they'd be more than happy to, uh, you know, uh, let you know the process of of getting involved in that course. And let's go ahead and reach out to them, Kelly, and maybe we can get them to come on the show and actually kind of talk. Talk about it. There's so many great things that are going on in that National EMS Management Association. You know, the, the you know they just came out with their new leadership competencies. That uh, you know, for everybody out there, if you haven't had the opportunity to check them out, go ahead and do so. Uh, you know, the FTEP course, and and you know, it's just a great group. And if you guys are getting into leadership, uh, go ahead and check out the, the National EMS Managers Association, and I don't think you'll be disappointed. Uh, as a past board member, uh, I got to tell you that it, uh, it really is an awesome organization, and and. And uh, you know they could use your support, but yeah. you know I got to tell you, Kelly. I, I mean, I've enjoyed talking about the FTO process, and and some of my best years as a paramedic has been uh, as an FTO. And uh, I got to tell you, those are some valuable lessons, not only for the folks that I had the opportunity to teach but there were some great lessons that came back to me of best practices and things uh-huh. that I never would have thought of and, and little, you know, tricks of the trades and so on and so forth. But you know, it sounds like we got a clinical issue here. We do. We do.
1: And that's, and my, my experience is near yours. I, I enjoy teaching no matter what the setting is. And, and, and uh, serving as an FTO or a designated preceptor in my system is something I've found fairly rewarding. And and like any good interaction between two individuals, you learn from each other. FTOs, you know, learn what it's, how it's done outside the system and maybe even able to, to uh, change your agency culture a little bit by getting some new ideas from those people you're, you're training. Um, but we'd like to hear your thoughts on, on the issue. <clears throat> so email us at the show at ems1.com and for myself and co-host Chris Ceballero thanks for tuning in and we'll catch you next week on Inside Events